Hey everybody, Brian here with K9s on Duty, and with me is Dawn. Say hi, Dawn. Hi. Well, we wanted to welcome you to another K9 Mind Freak episode, and that is the new name for our videos and our podcast, K9 Mind Freak. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background, um, we I wanted to name it uh, K9 Mind Freak, and thank God Dawn liked that name too, because I think we went through what five or six of them, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but studying psychology, one of the things that I've learned is that oftentimes we think we know like a magic trick. We think we know where the card's at and it's really not there at all. Um, if any of you guys watched the um, interview that I did with Dr. Lack from the University of Central Oklahoma, we talked all about beliefs and how sometimes what we're believing is actually a lie. So um, it was really cool coming up with that name. And um, Don, I really appreciate you helping me out with everything. And the the uh, logo that we have for the K9 Mind Freak, the intro, that's all Dawn's doing. She's really gifted at doing all that um, advertising, marketing stuff. So thank you. Welcome. <laughs> so with this episode, Dawn and I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about our backgrounds and what got us to the place where we're at today in working with people and their dogs all across the world. And uh, so do you want to start? Sure. Okay. So here's Dawn, my beautiful wife. You can't see her because you're just listening, but she's pretty hot. Thanks. <laughs> hey, everybody. So Brian and I, again, thought it would be a good idea to kind of lay the foundation for how we are where we are today and what our backgrounds are. I'm more of a behind-the-scenes girl. I kind of always have been, even when I was at the head of the boat here and captioning the ship before I turned it over to Brian. Um so my background basically with the working dog actually started when I was a very young girl. Um, I should say we had sport field dogs technically, but I would be out very early on the weekends in the mornings with my dad working with our golden retrievers and sending them on birds and doing all that stuff. And I just loved it. I didn't care that it was early or there was lots of mud. I didn't mind being out there and I loved being out in nature and the dogs were just so beautiful. Like obviously they're beautiful dogs, but to see them actually doing the things that they were genetically bred to do instinctively is pretty outstanding. So that's really where my first love of dogs. Did you, did you cry when your dad shot a bird? No, he shot him beforehand. We had him frozen. They were always frozen ducks in our freezer in the oh. garage. We had a special <laughs> separate freezer because my mom obviously wouldn't let him keep those in the regular freezer. So we had a freezer stocked with ducks, so I didn't have to see that. But my dad was a sharpshooter. Um, so That's probably why we get along. Yeah, I think that is fun. So some people take their dog out and play ball, and other people, like my wife, take their dog out and play frozen duck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. So I learned out how to send them and, you know, doing multiple retrieves and sending them to water and all that stuff. And then... Ironically, all these years later, I actually was in law school and through a series of crazy personal events, um, I switched paths. And my first thing that I did after I left law school was to kind of team up with a girlfriend of mine. Um, at the time, her name was Danielle Johanneman. It's not that anymore. It's Danielle Polici. And she ended up breeding Labradors, but she had a dog walking dog training business and asked me to kind of help her. She was really overwhelmed and busy. She knew I had a background with dogs. She had been working with me and training my, um, my first Malinois cross. So, um, 
and naturally I just kind of stepped up and I could bring my dog to work every day. Like back then that was really unusual. Wow. So I would tote around these dogs and go walk people's dogs. And in the process would bring my camera along because I thought there might be a need to, for these dog owners to see what their dog was up to. This was before like FaceTime and video streaming from your home with a video camera sitting on the counter, you know, where you could chime in and do a virtual, you know, on streaming your dog's activity through the day. We didn't have that. So I bring a camera along, take a couple pictures and then print them and leave them for people. And I started to get asked to be like commissioned to photograph yeah. people's dogs. That's actually where it all started. And then the working dog thing came even more to the forefront. Now Danielle had done a lot of like, she was still doing like a very high level um, retriever work. So I got to enjoy that with her um, often. And that I do a lot of shooting for that at that point. Um, and I got invited to this event, this demo event for the working dog foundation of Port New Hampshire which was run by um, Dr. Lou Furland, who is still speaking within a lot of the conferences that we attend today for the working dog. And he had me come in and hired me for the day. And I photographed police dogs and I was like, hmm, something just really reached down deep inside me and grabbed me. And I thought, this is it. This is what I'm going to specialize in. This is going to be my niche. So you know, I still photographed people's pet dogs for a long time. I had a lot of the naysayers, you know, basically say to me, like, why would anybody pay you to photograph their dog? That's ridiculous. And uh, 20 something years later, I'm still here. Now, granted, I don't do it as my primary source of income. I am a director of marketing for a small financial company to pay most of the bills. But I did make, you know, a career out of it for 20 years. And Throughout that process, I ended up getting more opportunities. The the police world is, you know, the canine world particularly is very, very small. Um, I also got involved in the sport dog world with like French ring sport through another trainer. Um, used to be um, Canine Performance Plus, and now it's known today as Canine Top Performance, but originally it was owned by John Johnston, and he got me into the French ring sport world, Dutchies and Malinois and, you know, the inner circle of that. And so over the years, just showing up time and time again and with my camera and learning and having an understanding and a desire to learn more about the working dog and not just like show up with the camera and be unsafe. I, you know, was very naturally curious and wanted to learn how these dogs did their thing and why they did their thing. And, you know, people would trust me because they saw they had a genuine interest, mm -hmm. care for the dogs, but also an awareness when I was out there on the field with them. Um, and understanding, you know, the dog's small body language <laughs> looks. So I would get out of the way or stay far away or knew when to come in tight. And over time, I, you know, I gained a reputation by doing things smart and properly and then, you know, creating this consistent product that people really seem to like and there was a market for. So, so in other words, um, you just learned how to read the dog's body language is what you're saying. Yeah. And I went to classes, a lot of classes. Mm -hmm. Like I did originally like this is you know not my finest moment but I did um make you know my way down the path to getting an animal behavior college you know dog training certification because I did want to have some kind of you know educational background that proved that I understood dogs and it did teach me a little bit but a lot of it is like learning alongside trainers learning alongside the sport dogs learning alongside the canine teams going to conferences eventually and sitting in classrooms and literally getting the certificate alongside, you know, the canine teams that were qualifying or getting scent detection certificates with my own dog, um, Tracer, um, who became my, you know, 
sort of pseudo protection dog. He was trained in personal protection, but we didn't uh, pass muster. So, um, but you know, it's a lot. I've had, I spent a lot of time and hours in the classroom learning from some of the top trainers in the world and watching some of the top decoys, both sport decoys and working dog decoys, work dogs, like, you know, 12, 14, 15 hours a day, every weekend, Wow. every single weekend for at least eight or nine years. So, you know, it's hard to walk away from that and not get an education and all the time, you know, these guys know, you guys know, like you go to training, you go to conferences or you're going to like, you know, practical workshops where you're hands on with your dog, you're working dogs all day, like 10, 12 hour days. And what do you do at the end of the day? You sit down and we talk about dogs Mm -hmm. over dinner and drinks and, you know, it doesn't stop for three days and it's like a complete and total immersion program and it takes time and there's no like certificate you can buy to be one of the top working dog photographers in the world. You just do it by showing up every single day and getting dirty and beat down a little bit by your gear. For me, it was my gear. I, you know, knock on wood, I've never actually been bit by any of the dogs I've photographed. I've been bit my own, my own dogs. That was my own <laughs> damn fault. It's always handler error there. So, um, yeah, I think that it's important that anybody know, no matter what you want to kind of excel in or become an expert, that you develop your talents over time and you put the work in and you show up when it's hard and it's cold and it's dark and disgusting. And there's like, you know, I'd show up and I'd be one of the only females and I have to reluctantly share a bathroom with these men in dark, danky old buildings that really didn't have working plumbing. So you suck it up in a lot of ways over time. And I did it, you know, with a smile on my face and very happy because like for me, that was in my, that was my passion and it always has been my passion. Like that spark that got ignited when I was out working dogs with my dad has never been quashed, mm-hmm. like not one day. And I, and I miss it a little bit more, you know, working full time, having kids and, you know, just putting a roof over our head, you know, has unfortunately taken me away from that. And I can see the other people participating in the arena in that capacity. And it's really, really hard. And I'm a little heartbroken over it, but I'll find mm-hmm. my way back there someday. Um, staying physically fit, you know, all those things that you need to do to participate in the working dog world. It is no joke. I've had people come over to me and like, they'll see my camera. I call it my rig say, man, that thing's like the size of your upper body. I say, you should hold it. And I'll hand it to people. And they're like, oh, I'm not going to touch it. I said, it's insured. Go <laughs> ahead and hold it. And they're like, holy crap. It's like, you know, six, seven, eight pounds of gear. And you're lifting that 12, 14 hours a day. And mm-hmm. I'm carrying a pack that weighs at least 20 pounds along with me all day long with like backup lenses and batteries and all the equipment I need. And, you know, you do that for a couple of days and the guys that have never seen you work before come up to you and they're like, you know, some of the toughest guys in the industry and like, oh my God, you are like kind of a badass. You're tougher than we thought you would be, you know, because appearances are deceiving. As you mentioned before, our mind isn't, our brain lies to us sometimes and they make assumptions when somebody who's like Mm -hmm. a buck oh eight or weight and blonde and blue eyed comes on the scene and you're like, really? And then you see me work and the guys are like, oh my God. And then you hold my gear and you're like, holy shit. Like Mm -hmm. that's, she's the real deal. So over time, Again, it was just getting a lot of assignments, and eventually I teamed up with Canine Guardians, which is now available on Amazon Prime. Yeah, which I just did a post on that. If you guys, if anybody listening hasn't seen the post about how proud I am of my wife, head on over to facebook.com forward slash canines on duty, all spelled out, C-A-N-I-N-E-S, and then on duty. Um, And you can kind of see that. And we've got some links to point you over to that. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, yeah, it was crazy for me. 
to, to when you put that on, like, I mean, I knew that you had, you were their still photographer for the documentary, but to sit here in our living room, when you put that on, when it came out and to see you and Tracer up there, I mean, that was just such a cool feeling. And to know, you know, hearing your story, how much hard work you put into it that led you to that place. I mean, that had to be a really good feeling, right? Yeah, it's a little surreal still. And we finished the project in 2015. And before that, it was three years in the, in the works. It was a lot of traveling, a lot of time, like a lot of miles on the road. There's nothing like riding in a van in the middle of the night <laughs> with Sam Edmonds and Paul Ludwig joking around and singing songs to you while your feet are basically up on top of, you know, a very disciplined hardcore Malinois that was hutched to Paul's Mal and he worked with Metro PD and uh, Baltimore PD um, in DC and he's no joke of a dog and I just got my feet up there and he's licking my toes and I'm in the back of this van in the middle of the night with these guys joking around having this you know crazy ass Malinois lick my toes and give me a pedicure and we had some <laughs> wild times and um, some of the best dog work I've ever seen and for a real good reason, like if you're going to watch documentary, which of course I highly recommend you do, and they're donating the profits um, back to the Canine Guardians um, nonprofit. It's uh, that thing was a labor of love for a lot of people. Sure. Um, a lot of sacrifices for time were made, you know, a lot of time on the road, a lot of bites that got taken. Sam gets bit in the head legitimately. He gets bit in the head and you see like the blood dripping down his face and the way that they actually resolved that fight was to put him on the kitchen table because when you're in the middle of nowhere in, you know, Maryland, that's Virginia, wherever we were, that's what you do. And they doctored him up literally on the kitchen table and made jokes the whole time. And, you know, Sam barked at me. He's like, don't stop shooting, you know, get the scene. Like, I don't care if I'm injured, you don't stop shooting. So, you know, it's another lesson that I learned from mm -hmm. those guys. Like, you just keep on keeping on. Like, you move forward, onward at all times. Um and of course, through that, I got introduced to so many other people and I ended up being on the dog show with Nick and Joe. And if you guys know Nick White, he's now one of the co-hosts for um, Top Dog, America's mm -hmm. Top Dog. Um, I got to be on their podcast, which was awesome. And I got that because other people had recommended me. And they said, you know, I think one of the things, the nicest compliments I got from those guys was essentially, um, you know, they said, we've talked to a lot of dog trainers. And the one thing that everybody knows about dog trainers, when you put them in the room, you're going to get like 20 different, 20 dog trainers in a room, 20 mm -hmm. different opinions on everything about dog training. But the one thing everybody agrees on is that you're one of the best dog photographers. And that kind of like teared up, you know, it was, I just do what I do because I love it. It's, mm -hmm. There's no notoriety in it. It's, it's just this crazy path that I took and a deep, love that I have for this world of dogs. And, um, that was a really nice compliment. So yeah, I've kind of seen a lot. I've photographed in Aruba with, um, Paul for the movie and met those teams there, Dick Van Leenen. He's actually coming back to stateside to do some stuff coming in the coming year. Um, he's a great guy and they train really hard. And uh, one of the things that I don't think people realize is that like, the international, police dog world <laughs> has a little bit like different rules, different like ways that you can work with the suspect or the prisoner and uh, 
those guys look like RoboCop over there. They do not like they're totally covered. Like mm-hmm. their face is covered, their head is covered. They literally wear like knee pads, elbow pads. They look like RoboCop. Mm-hmm. And those dogs are trained for a whole other level. Um, and one of the things that Paul was doing was trying to get you know exposure to that level of training because we could definitely adopt that here in the states when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but they train for everything, and even the ridiculous circumstances where people will say, you know, why would we ever train that way? Why would you ever send a dog into the water to pursue a suspect? And it's like, well, because you never know what you're going to see. Well, and too, let me interrupt there if, if you don't mind. Um, that actually came up um, on one of the chat forums. Mm-hmm. And a lot of officers were actually saying mm-hmm. that exact same thing. Why would we want to train that way? And there was it was interesting because there were some stories of some guys where their dog ended up in the water and the handler had no idea that there was even water present. Mm-hmm. You know, the dog, I think one gentleman told a story where his dog went through like this massive um, drain pipe and on the other side was still standing water about two, three feet deep. So that's absolutely, I, I do agree with, with Paul's concept of always being prepared for the worst Yeah. because to not be prepared, it's, to me, it's not smart based on my military training. Right. You always expect the worst to happen and have a plan. Yeah. And I think what's important and, you know, I, okay. And again, I'm not a trainer, you know, I've watched a lot of trainers. I've worked alongside a lot of trainers. I've, you know, trained my own Malinois with some trainers, Um, I'm not a trainer, but one thing I know time and time again, no matter what trainers I've observed or learned from, you got to put the picture in the dog's mind. If you're not training for that and the picture is not in the dog's mind, it's very difficult to cross apply all those other foundational obedience measures and tactical measures if the dog hasn't seen it before. So, you know, for me, that's one thing I've taken away from all of this and, you know, particularly Paul and Dick Van Leenen was you know, you have to put the dog in that situation. You have to give them a picture in their head. Otherwise, they're not necessarily going to know what to do when the time comes, if and when that time comes. Um, so why would you not train for every possible scenario? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And again, like, the standard's different from sport dog to working dog. Like, a police canine is going to be put through the paces in a whole different way and methodology and it requires a whole different level of decoy actually to do the work to train them in that capacity than the sporting dog world. So, yeah. you know, that, that in other, is, that's a whole other thing that we should talk about in the future on this podcast, it's like sport decoying versus working dog decoying, you know, they're mm-hmm. a whole different ballgame. Absolutely. So, yeah. And then eventually I ended up at this workshop in Kansas City, Missouri, and I was on assignment for a seminar post-certification seminar and that's where I met you mm-hmm. and normally I wouldn't even consider any kind of foundational relationship with anyone I'm there to work and all the guys who know me know that um out there but you know I met the special guy he looks a lot like you actually <laughs> <laughs> it was the smile I, I'm talking about to be right yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway you should tell everybody your background now yeah, before I get into that, let's. Uh, we actually have one sponsor. So uh, our little mid midway break for our sponsors isn't as long as like others. Uh, I know the guys over at Working Dog Radio; they have quite a few sponsors. So I know their little halftime show is a lot longer than ours. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and pause this recording, and uh, I want you guys to hear a little bit about our sponsor. 
Okay, we are back with you. And uh, Don, thanks for sharing your story with us and all our listeners. Um, it's always interesting. Even though that we're in a relationship, I still learned something new the whole about you. Thing. <laughs> in a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, permanent state of marriage. <laughs> yeah, touche. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's okay. No, it's cool because I still learn a few things more about you the, every time I hear that story. So it's uh, appreciate you sharing. And I know our listeners kind of want to know um, who we are on a more personal level yeah. and what drives us to do what we do. So thanks for sharing your story. So my story goes back to pretty much childhood. I was always raised around dogs. Um, and the mind that I was gifted with just always really thought deeply into everything. You know, if you're going to tell me, well, do something this way from a young age, my mind was like, why? I mean, I didn't always ask because, um, you know, we had a lot of order in our home and all that other stuff. And you just didn't want to respect, disrespect my father. So, uh, you know, I, I kept a lot of stuff to myself, but it drove me to have this researcher mind. Like if I'm not going to ask, then I'm going to find out for myself. And I would, you know, read if I had to. I mean, I didn't like reading. So I, if there was a book with pictures, that would have been better. <laughs> so, Comic um, book? Yeah, I, I didn't even really like comic books. But, um, you know, I'll never forget this one year. My parents asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And my buddy Stanley had a radio control uh, car. It was called the Grasshopper. It was like the hottest thing back then for RC cars. And, of course, I got something it was not the grasshopper because of the price and you know cost of living was difficult but um i'll never forget the first thing that i did was take the body off take everything apart that had a screw to it because i needed to know how it worked and it was with, like that with anything mm -hmm. um i needed to know how things worked. so i started learning from a local dog trainer in my teens just pet dog training and we did a lot of treat-based training and let me tell you, it wasn't like I, it was an apprenticeship. It was just, I was able to go there, ask the guy a few questions, get some tips and some tricks. And that was about it. And, but I still was able to get the philosophy of what he was teaching his clients at, you know, uh, you know, in my, in my teens. And when I joined the Marine Corps out of high school, um, I became a scout sniper. And one of the top three things the enemy will do, there's three main things the enemy will do. One is they'll bomb an entire grid square to get rid of you. Uh, two, they'll send out sniper teams, which they prepared us for both of those. And three, they'll send the dogs out to tr track you down if they have them. Those are the top three preferred methods that the enemy will have in order to hunt out a Marine sniper. So Uncle Sam's theory is knowledge is power. So they educated us on those. Now, the, the canine behavior was very, it was very rudimentary, but it was enough where it answered some questions that I had for a long time. And I thought, okay, this information came from PhD scientists, animal behaviorists from a, an accredited university that are saying that this is how a dog will behave when the handler is not present, which is why they taught us, well, don't shoot the dog if you don't have to. If you, there's enough distance and you have enough time, just shoot the handler. And if anybody else steps up to try to handle the dog, just shoot them. Eventually that dog's, no one's going to want to touch the dog. And that's the kind of the psychological intimidation. Mm -hmm. And so what good is the dog without any direction from the human handler that 
the dog's going to be useless at that point. And I think that was one of the most valuable lessons that I learned. And I started thinking more about the dependency that we have, or, or excuse me, the dependency that dogs have on us. Mm. And then that's when my brain started saying, wait a minute here. How come the dog trainer that I was listening to prior to the military wasn't teaching any of this stuff? Because training a dog, and this is when I had my big realization that training a dog is not just the regimented, put the leash on, you do the heel, you do the right turn, the left turn, the about face, the sit, the down, the stay, so on and so forth. It literally is how you behave around the dog. And so I wanted to know more. Okay, well, what makes up human behavior? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I was at my VA counseling one day for my post-traumatic stress. And my therapist said, well, you're asking all these questions and you're going through the therapy and you're doing really good. You're definitely more inquisitive than most veterans coming through here. Why don't you go to school? You know, you're a service-connected disabled veteran. VA will pay for your school. So why not take advantage of that opportunity and get a degree? So I started going to Purdue University. And of course, now I'm transferring. I'm hoping to get into a university here. It's a little difficult right now. I just got everything transferred. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my background as far as why I wanted to learn what I was learning and what my driving force is. And it's funny because a lot of trainers, they definitely have their gloves on and their guards up at all times. Yeah, the ego too. A yeah. Lot of, a lot of ego and it tends to get in the way. I think the best performing teams I've ever seen don't have a lot of ego. Like sure. They're open-minded and they are, are curious and, you know, driven to discover what they can do better. They're always Absolutely. looking to improve themselves. Like, again, that concept that you and I have talked about before, Kaizen, mm -hmm. like, you're never quite fully done being developed. That's right. You're always finding a way to improve yourself with more mm -hmm. knowledge and that open-mindedness. Well, and that's one of the things that keeps me really motivated on this is because every time I turn a corner, I'm learning something new. Mm -hmm. It's never ending and it will never be ended ever. Like I will die still not knowing enough about dog psychology and human psychology because every year that goes by, we have a new technology or, or I mean, for crying out loud, we have MRI imaging these days and, um, Dr. Greg Burns, which I was fortunate enough to be able to interview for an article I was writing for a magazine. And, uh, he's, you know, trained dogs to lay calmly in an MRI machine with no sedation and no restraints. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to capture live images of a dog's brain when given certain hand signals that meant certain things or different smells or photographs that meant things to the dog. Of course, all that had to be trained and it was a massive project, but we learned so much more from that. And you know, that that's kind of case in point is just when I thought I had a good handle on an understanding, there was more, there was something new that came out. I believe his research came out in uh, April 16th of 2000, either 16 or 17. So it's fairly new information. Um, and uh, I think that that's where a lot of trainers want to stay is within their comfort zone. Yeah, I like, think that's a normal human thing. Sure, you know, I, I do. I do. I, and, I, and I feel yeah. like, you know, to your point earlier, we barely understand everything there is to know about the human mind. How could we yeah. possibly know everything there is to know about the dog's mind? Now, obviously, the dog's mind is smaller, but think about that, all those intricacies. So I think no. that's the beauty in what your, where your passion lies. It's like you know that there is that confirmation that there's no end. Like it's not right. like in 20 years we're going to know everything about the human brain. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and this is what I was uh, getting at earlier is that a lot of trainers, I think, have their gloves on and their guard up. And it's almost like if you were to tell them something that they didn't know, 
that they would lose value right. or that if, if they hire our services, which is mainly consultation, like we take trainers to the next level by increasing their knowledge base. We take pet dog owners further by increasing. It's all about knowledge. We don't do the hands-on training anymore much. Yeah. If, if requested on special occasions, we will. I mean, I know just a few months ago, I did it in a aggression case um, inside the home and it worked out well. Um, but the, the, the main thing that we do is we don't steal clients from trainers. No. We educate the clients of the trainers to support their mission, which is how do you get the training to stick in the human brain? Well, you're talking about modifying human behavior, which is not easy to do. So you have to have an education to really be the best dog trainer. You got to remember, you're not hanging on to these dogs. Mm -hmm. You're creating a set of behaviors in a dog and then you're giving them to someone else. Right. And so if they're not going to behave the same way you were, there's your consistency. You had consistency when you trained the dog, but now you're giving the dog to someone else who is not going to have the same behavior or the same consistency and the same regime going every single day, reinforcing daily. This is how we behave in this house. Right. And so because I, I think that's why a lot of trainers are struggling is because they're not being able to get into the human mind and teach them in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And I think like this is so exciting to me because of my background and watching handlers struggle for a you know, in some cases for a long time, some of the handlers, like they really understood, like I got to get my head around this and really change how I'm approaching this challenge with my dog. Like I can't beat it out of them. I'm going to, you know, that's not going to serve anybody. I can't. And I don't know what I don't know. And the trainers that I'm going to don't understand why one thing works and one thing doesn't. I think what you're offering the community is something so unique. And that is, you're giving them like this supplemental support, kind of like taking vitamins, like when you're bodybuilding, right? You need mm -hmm. like that extra creatine and whatever else those, by the way, Brian takes all this stuff. I don't know much <laughs> about it at all. I like have some bulletproof stuff I took when I was training for Spartan race that was supposed to give me like extra whatever I needed. But Brian is essentially the same thing as that, right? With the added value of helping you understand how to train your clients and change their mindset and change their behavior so you're getting long-term results, which only reflects better on the trainer. Like what more could a trainer want? And we've all seen the memes out there. Like <laughs> you <laughs> polish up this person's dog, you send it home and a week later it's a wreck. And you know, I think one of the most common things we, the messages and that we see with these memes about dog training is like everything comes undone. Or if the, you only did what I told you to do, the dog wouldn't be continuing to exhibit this poor behavior. Um, and there's so much frustration. So your solution to value add your brain is you're reducing the frustration and getting more consistent results, which makes you look like the most badass trainer. Right. Mm -hmm. And it does take some work and there is like an education involved in this. And, you know, the stuff that you're sharing with people literally does blow their minds. Like how many times have we left one of your class, your dog psychology classes and people are like, holy crap, like. A, I've never heard half the stuff and it makes a lot of sense. And B, I'm totally overwhelmed. That was like a lot of information I had no idea existed out there. So that's what your value is. That's what the new iteration of Canines on Duty has become. It's gone from me as this working dog photographer and creating these images to tell the chat, the powerful storylines of the working dog mm -hmm. in like mostly United States and then again in Aruba. But now it's like not only are we showing you 
what results from really good training, but we're helping you optimize the really good training that you're getting so that your performance, whether it's as a trainer, as a canine handler, patrolling the streets, as a dog owner, like a regular pet dog owner. And frankly, I think there's a lot the sport dog world can learn from you about this. Like I have spent plenty of time on a field. Literally, I had one participant come over and yell at me for being, I was on the field. This was not an unusual thing for me to be on the field shooting images. I've done it for years. And I had one guy come like his dog wasn't performing, but it was my fault. He came over to me and just tore me a new one through shit. I'm like, <laughs> that didn't have anything to do with me. That was all you. And there's accountability in that. And to bring like the sport dog world up a notch, like it would benefit people there to understand why their ego gets in the way and how that actually really does affect the dog's performance. And when you step on the field and you're freaking out, mm-hmm. you know, on the inside, your dog's picking up on that. And people may, you know, not see it on the outside, the, the people who are attending and, you know, watching, but man, there's like a whole wide world. You could blow that whole world open. I mean, yeah. you guys are missing out. Like I, I can't wait to see what opportunities, you know, people will have when they come to you and they get that extra bit of knowledge to give them the leading edge. And I've seen it in like bodybuilding world. I've seen it in like any kind of the sports world, like the people who get the coach, you're essentially like the trainer's trainer. Like you're the coach. Um, That like psychological coaching for trainers, sport dogs, pet dogs. It's man, it's going to be the one you're like the Tony Robbins of the dog world, right? Like (laughs) in a good way, because your training and your background, particularly in special forces, you know, gives you a whole new perspective on like not being reactive and staying level headed and encouraging people how to do that. And those techniques do transfer over to like the everyday person. Right. Absolutely. So that's how I see it. And that's why I think what you're doing is so powerful. And we started to hear it, you know, everything's Mm -hmm. pretty new for us, but the people who are getting it, like you get this light bulb moment and they're like, holy crap. I had no idea. And we've heard it from like, you know, Justin Rigney and even the working on radio guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're well-respected and super knowledgeable, but they, you're unlocking stuff for them. They had never thought about before. So that's just going to raise, you know, a rising tides raise all ships. Sure. Um, you know, like well, and that's been one of the, one of the things that we've noticed when we work with people like uh, the guys over there at um, WDR working dog radio, uh, Ted and Eric, um, I had the pleasure of being interviewed by them. And, you know, Ted had even said, he said, you know, you're right. I, I'm good at what I do. And I know that this technique is going to work. But the moment I see the dog, I know that this technique is going to work better than others. But I didn't know why. Right. And so to be able to take all the psychology that I'm learning and break it down to to understand the inner workings of a dog's brain and to really know why a technique works is that's what's taking trainers to the next level. Even if they're not learning anything new other than why it's working, it's building confidence Mm -hmm. because now they're saying, oh, wow, I never knew why it works. But now that I know the why, that only builds confidence in me to be more confident in teaching this one technique. Or when when and if a problem arises, like particularly with the patrol dogs, like the stuff that these dogs see, I don't think the average civilian is very clear on i mean canine guardians movie talks to it very well but the stuff that i actually saw Mm -hmm. in the scenario training that was akin to real life situations is unbelievable and oftentimes like you know 
things around deployments on the side of the highway. You know, if the dog has a bad experience, like a car buzzes by or a truck comes by and beeps the horn and dog doesn't deploy, you know, the next several times on the side of the highway, you know, Paul and them could get to how that happened, but getting it fixed necessarily would, you know, would have been very helpful to have somebody like you with a psychological input to help understand how to, you know, get that dog back patrolling and performing on the side of the highway faster. Mm. Um, you know, less downtime for the department, less expense on the department, like less liability on the department. And that's again, like the extra value that you're bringing is like, if these guys understand why they can resolve and pivot when these problems pop up, cause they do pop up. Like, sure. I've heard so many stories like you don't just train a police dog one time certify, yeah, you're good to go. Like it's a constant process. And then of course, like when something weird happens on a shift or on a call, you know, you don't want to be 10 steps backwards for too long of a period of time. So that's again, how, what you have to offer is also very useful. Yeah. And we're, that's one of the reasons why I think we're both very excited about this uh, venture with the podcast is that we really want to get this information out there. And uh, we're hoping that we can um, get some sponsors out there, get some donations out there to kind of help us go forward with um, the research and the interviewing people. There's a lot of time, energy, and just tools that we need. You know, um, uh, we really need a good microphone, for example. I ordered one, but it's, hopefully it's a good one. It was like 50 bucks. Um, but we want to make sure the sound quality is good. So, you know, if you guys uh, are liking what, if you've watched our videos or it, I granted this is only our second podcast now, but if you are liking the information and you do want to support the cause, please, um, you know, our donations are very welcome. And, um, and I that's... think it's important that people know like offering and usually that's getting a consult with Brian like he'll sit yeah. down with you like if you guys want to donate you can certainly you know we're not a nonprofit, but um, Brian's available for consultations they can be booked right online um, we'll go ahead and you know find a way to get that link to anyone if you want to also um, go to our website caninesonduty.com and you can get on our mailing list so or you can send us a quick text to Brian's phone which is 2600 Four six six eight nine two nine. I married this man, and I still have a time remembering his phone number. But text him like literally. He takes calls all the time. Mm-hmm. People text him all the time. Like he's the most accessible person, and you know, one of the most accessible people, ex- accessible people in the dog world. Like you know, and so when you get a consultation, we can you know bill you for that, and that would go a long way to helping us. Um, gain some ground. We also have these awesome t-shirts and I think Brian's going to probably put a link up on our Facebook page where you can go ahead and buy those. They're $29 a piece and who doesn't love a good t-shirt, especially the guys out there. And cops, they can never have enough t-shirts. <laughs> I've learned that over the years. Like, oh my God, you guys go nuts for t-shirts. And yeah. these are good. Like this voodoo tactical stuff and our screen printer is, um, who's the guy again? His name's Mike Davis over at Threat Based Threads yeah, and he's awesome. prior military, uh, prior law enforcement, if I, my memory serves me correct, I believe he was SWAT team. And uh, I met him at, um, oh, the conference uh, that I was at in Nashville. Yeah. Canine Cop. It, yeah, I was at the Canine. I was a speaker at the Canine Cop um, conference. And uh, I met Mike there. And uh, we kind of, we talked for, geez, probably an hour. And then I realized that I took enough business out of his pocket by yapping at the gums. 
So I shut up and went on my way. You distracted him from making sales. I did, I think. Yeah, yeah. But um, Mike was nice enough to get these shirts printed in a very timely manner and just did a phenomenal job. So, um, and we've had a ton of people asking. I've only had the shirts for like what two weeks now. Yeah. And I've already got two people that want to buy them, and a few more that are saying, "Hey, if you can get these, we want one too." So. Yeah, and it helps keep you know a small business going during these kind of uncertain, definitely uncertain, crazy times. So yeah, yeah, that's not a bad thing either. You yeah. Can, you can print and ship still, right? Right now. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You got anything else? No, I just really appreciate people tuning into our, you know, first podcast, it, you know, episode podcast episodes. I can't talk today. My brain <laughs> is like half asleep. Um, this coronavirus situation is Cosimina. Well, not just that. Look at the weather. Yeah, it's pretty gross out. But yeah, it's nasty. It's rainy. It's cold here today. It feels like a London day. Um, the only thing missing is the fog. And the tea and the crumpets. But we have tea. <laughs> I tried tea this morning. Like, I got I didn't sleep very well. I got up at like quarter of seven on a Sunday morning for Christ's sake. Like the one day of the week I can sleep in, and I couldn't sleep, and so I got up. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna make myself some tea. And like a half hour, I'm like, ah, no, it's latte time. I get to like rock this stuff today. It's just not not a tea morning for me. Um, but yeah, so I'm just really grateful for you doing what you did in the Marines. And you're Thank still you. a Marine at heart. And, you know, he was Always. also in law enforcement. He didn't mention that, but. Yeah, conversation kind of went the other way. for another time. Yeah. That'll be a good story. But um, yeah, I'm just grateful for what you do. Well, I'm grateful for what you do for the company as well and just being by my side through all this. Um, so it uh, and, you know, we're very grateful for all our listeners, too. Uh, we wouldn't even be able to do this if it wasn't for people showing interest in the the knowledge that we have and that we're eager to share with everybody. So, uh, yeah. And if know. we have one more person ask us if we were going to do a podcast. <laughs> so we just <laughs> yeah. got our act together and did it. This wasn't like. It was kind of an overnight thing, but you know, not. It's been planned for like off and on for several months, and we finally got our butts in gear and just did it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and um, too, you know, somebody else that I want to thank too is David Dorn. Yeah. Um, I had uh, David reached out to me. He started watching our videos, and he was like, "Hey, we need to talk." And so I ended up interviewing him about um, the concept of a double blind. And for those of you that don't know who David Dorn is, he's out of um, California and he owns a company called um, caninestack.com and also caninefto.com. And stack is S-T-A-C. Yeah. No K. Yeah. K, the letter K, the number nine, and then S-T-A-C.com and then caninefto, Frank, Tom, Oscar, mm -hmm. um, dot com. And uh, the FTO is, um, is for canine field training officers. So it's, it's a program designed to take department training heads for, in the canine area to the next level and uh, kind of hone their skills. So it's educational. It's educational. It's online learning, um, which I absolutely love because with online learning, you have that ability to, one, learn from the comfort of your own home on your own time, whenever that is. But also you have the ability to go over that information multiple times rather than just hearing it once or twice, like at yeah. a seminar, most seminars, people only remember like 30%. That's being generous. That is being generous. I think it's <laughs> more like 10%, drinking. but yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to give David a shout out um, for um, partnering with us. And uh, I'm going to be 
creating a canine psychology portion for the canine FTO. Yeah, for that on demand. For that or online learning. Portion. Online learning. And then also um, our course cats. We're going to be putting um, smaller courses and, uh, you know, you can purchase these courses. We're not sure exactly how we're doing it. It's in the, the concept phase now. But um, just so everybody's aware, we're thinking about taking shorter videos about each individual topic. And we're not sure if you're, you can just purchase them individually. Like today, I want to learn about the thalamus of a dog's brain. And then you purchase that one. Or if there's going to be a series of videos within a certain price range and uh, you know more videos within a different price range. We're not sure, but we'll get all that figured out. Mm -hmm. And we'll make sure that um, we let everybody know. And probably the fastest way to learn what we have going on and what we have coming up is to go to our website, like Dawn was saying, canines on duty, and that's all spelled out, um, dot com, and sign up for our mailing list. The other thing is to, you know, because our website's kind of in flux, but if you go to um, our canines on duty page on Facebook, mm -hmm. you can get on our mailing list there. Like on the left side of the screen, there's options and, and you can get on our email newsletter list oh, cool. there. And it's the same thing. So yeah, yeah um, that might be easier. Go to Facebook, go to our canines and duty page on Facebook. And uh, it's facebook.com slash C-A-N-I-N-E-S on duty. And you'll get us there. And we actually post there a lot more frequently. We do. Better than the website. Yeah. Um, you can certainly go to the website. It's kind of not in a great I don't like the way it's laid out, but well, we just transitioned yeah. over from GoDaddy over to CourseCat, so it's a it's a project in the making. Yeah. So yeah, see with our Facebook page easier. Yeah. Touch with us there. And then for any of you handlers that are listening to today's podcast, um, I hope to see you at the Bravo Three Conference in Gettysburg, PA. I'm going to be speaking out there. That's in um, October. Or, so yeah, in October. Hopefully, yep. it's not being disrupted by the world's events. You know, for now, it's still on and. Hasn't been nothing around that has been postponed. I think it's far enough out that it should go on. Yeah, and we're going to be doing some uh, work with the guys over there at Tripwire and Bravo Three. Mm -hmm. They just reached out to us yesterday, and uh, we're going to do a little bit of fun work together. So we're excited to see how this is going to transpire and, and go. Good group of um, people over there at Tripwire and Bravo Three. So we're excited to be able to work with them. And uh, um, Don and I will be hanging out uh, over at the Canine Stack booth at the Bravo 3 conference. Um, we're not getting a booth this year. This is our first time speaking at the Bravo 3 conference. So um, David was nice enough to invite us over to his booth to kind of hang out. And uh, they gave us permission to go around to some of the other um, trainers and people with the booths or even handlers and do some interviews for our podcast or our video blog that we post on Facebook all the time. So yeah. And the last thing I'd like to add is if anyone out there listening feels like they want to contribute their knowledge, please let us know. We'd love to interview you for our podcast. Just go ahead again and text Brian 260-466-8929. That's a text worthy communication. If you email us, I try and check it every day. Brian sometimes doesn't get around to checking it. So texting is definitely the way to go. Go ahead and reach out to us and let us know you're interested in potentially being a part of our podcast. Yeah. Sponsors too. We'll take those anytime. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yep. yep. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, getting to know Don and I a little bit better. And uh, we hope you guys have a great rest of the day. Hopefully there's some sunshine where you're at and some of the uh, places a little bit further west. I'm not sure what's going on out there in the world, but around here, wow, this makes me want to take a nap. Yeah. So, but for now, stay safe, watch your six, and as always, 
Semper Fi.